Welcome to the latest EG Like Sunday Morning, in which I am once again joined by two of my hard-working colleagues to round up the week in property. First, a man whose command of all things real estate is matched only by his boundless knowledge of hip-hop, Deputy Editor Tim Burke. And then, Hello. a man of many talents, whose youthful looks come in stark contrast to his job title, it's senior writer Piers Wayner. Hello. Great to speak to you both. How have you been this week? Really good, thank you enjoying it. I was about to go, it's Friday, baby, but then I realised you're not, well, not meant to say that, am I? It's Sunday. <laughs> it's Sunday, baby. Uh, that's right. It is absolutely Sunday morning, as, as we're all well aware. Uh, Tim, we have lots to discuss um, today, but but since this is such a momentous week, I, I do have to ask you, what are your thoughts on Snoop Dogg announcing that he's quitting smoking? Um, this I was surprised by this because this man, this man encouraged a, a generation of hip hop heads to to take up smoking. Um, so maybe now he'll encourage a generation to stop smoking. I suppose that would be that would be quite a good thing. I don't know. He's just giving up smoking, right? I expect he'll still be on the edibles. I can't imagine that Snoop is going <laughs> stone cold sober. But I, I don't know. We'll see. I was surprised. I was surprised by that. I think. Do you know what? I think good on him. Good on him. Uh, I, I, if he's I, on I, the edibles only, are you suggesting hmm. that Snoop Dogg would just eat? <laughs> very good if you're listening to some... this you'd think this has been scripted you'd think they must sit down and work this out beforehand but no no it's all freestyle i, I like the idea that, that snoop might now appear in a series of public information films uh, <laughs> advising the, the nation's youth to, to not start smoking that's that'd be good we could have perhaps have his, his photo on packets and of, of, uh, oh, of rizzlers yeah. and things like that <laughs> Uh, Marvellous. Um, let's somehow see uh, from Snoop Dogg to Tim Roberts. Uh, I'm not sure if that's ever happened <laughs> to him before. Tim, if you're listening, please do let us know if it has. Um, so the chief executive of Henry Boot, who, Tim, uh, you interviewed uh, for the EG interview um, about the developers. This sounds quite remarkable for a developer. Their first HQ move in almost a century. <laughs> Yeah, this was a couple of weeks back, my first ever trip to Sheffield. Um, I mean, oh, there are a lot of places in the country that I haven't been to, uh, obviously, but this was my first my first trip to the city, and it was to visit the new HQ of um, of Henry Boot. And I think this was kind of the ultimate, what do you need from, from your office story? So yeah. Henry Boot was based at Bannercross Hall on the outskirts of, of the city for 90 years, which is if you round that up that's a century um and it is this massive listed country house that um that the company had owned set in 10 acres of land i mean think of our think of our offices here and then think of the scale <laughs> of that property yeah. listed country house 10 acres of land and i suppose there's something sort of imposing and grand about having a space like that as your HQ. But as one team member there said to me as I got a tour of the new office, there was also something oddly embarrassing about having that as your <laughs> HQ because it it was just so odd. Um, and so they sold it. And I went up to, to Sheffield to get a look around the Isaacs building, which is part of the heart of the city development there and where Henry Boots now taken three floors. And um, Tim Roberts, as you say, the CEO, he sort of talked me through the move and the rationale. And before he joined Henry Boot back at the uh, sort of start of 2020, he ran offices for British land. So he knows a bit about workspace. And he made the point as well that Bannercross Hall and the scale of that site just just 
wasn't really what, what Henry Boot needed any longer. And what he hopes is that if you get a modern city centre HQ and it's, you know, a stone's throw from the train station there, it's going to encourage more of his team into the office. And like any company boss, he's, he's still working through what the ideal is mm. on, on that front. How many days can you reasonably expect people to be in? Um, is the answer to mandate that people have to come into the office? Spoiler alert, he thinks definitely not. He said he can't see Henry Boot ever placing a mandate in place that says people have to be in for a certain number of days. He disagrees with certain companies, I think particularly banks, that are now trying to tie bonuses for staff to, to being in the office for a set period of time each week. He thinks it's basically as simple um, or, as, or as difficult, I suppose, as just making sure the office itself is somewhere that, that people want to be. And mm. I think the hope is that that the Isaacs building for um, for Henry Boot ticks that box. It's got a full bar in it, so it would definitely be that would be somewhere I'd want to be. Um, mm. You know, at least when um, at least for five p.m. and beyond each uh, each working day. It was a really cool spot. Um, they had a they had a lot of the team in when I was visiting. They had people who from offices around the country coming to join an induction session, um, and it felt yeah, it felt really lively. Um, you know, you often look around these new schemes, and 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 they're they're so they're so beautifully designed, and sort of the decor and um and the style of it is 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 something really different, certainly compared to what Henry Boot would have had before. Uh, I could see that being somewhere that people um that people actually want to spend their week, mm. bringing them back from the bringing them back from the living room table, as it were. I suppose the the, the irony is and the difficulty is that that you know everyone's different, and uh, you know if if E.G. moved into a giant country house in an eleven acre estate. I'd be over the moon. That sounds like a fantastic place to work. We should have bought Bannercross Hall. Why did we not we think should. of this? The opportunity was right in front of us. Another, another it's a one fair more. it's a fair it's a fair point. You're never gonna get you're you're probably yeah. never gonna get, are you, a building that every person in your company um wants to be in. No. That's true. Um Tim, now of course uh, you don't answer the phone uh, unless it's the chief executive on the other end. Uh, and so you've also been speaking uh, to British Land's head honcho, Simon Carter, uh, also about the state of the office market. Um, so what's the what's the latest? Uh, yeah, this was on the back of British Land's half year results, um, which they put out this week. Uh, so Simon and I were chatting through um, uh, what's the word? So the, the, the metrics that are making him think the market, the London office market isn't mm. isn't really as. Um, as problematic as some would have it, uh, they've got vacancy rates on some of the campuses like Broadgate, sort of, you know, just by just by EG Towers here, that are a fraction of what they are across the city as a whole. They're leasing ahead of ERV. They're seeing some bigger requirements coming through. Um, but the one unavoidable leasing that 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 we delved into, and which you can't really avoid, sort of when you're talking to to BL about office space, is that that one that Meta. Um, which owns Facebook, paid uh, just shy of 150 million quid to walk away from uh, earlier this year. So Meta had taken one Triton Square at the Regent's Place campus, then said that it was going to scale back its um, its UK real estate footprint. And should we ban the word footprint? I just had a sort of out-of-body <laughs> experience moment where I was looking down at myself, listening to myself use the word footprint. <laughs> to describe property, let's not let's not use that one anymore. Uh, it's London office space. Um, 
you remember this period where tech companies were all saying, listen, we think we've overstretched ourselves in terms of um, in terms of offices and, and we're mm. going to need to start scaling back. And it wasn't just a, that wasn't just a UK push. I think that was global. But Meta had already said that it was it, it was going to it was going to attempt to um, to uh, to um, sublet the the space that it had taken at, um, at Triton Square. And uh, it would always have had to pay to break to break that lease, of course, if it wasn't going to sublet. But what becomes more interesting and, and the story that um, that Simon Carter sort of talks us through in our in our piece this week was that Meta actually succeeded in lining up another tenant for that space. So it had struck a deal um, widely reported and understood to be with accountancy firm BDO, although this is one of those cases where no one no one um, on the deal is actually confirming that it was that it was mm. BDO uh, to take to take that building off their hands and essentially sublet it from from Meta. So BL is then put in a position where it could actually tell Meta, fine, sublet that building to another company and the lease stays as it is. But they didn't. They refused to give that sublet to um, to Meta. And instead, they took the 149 million payment from Meta for breaking the lease. And um, Simon Carter's argument is that wasn't just about the 149 million, million although Good luck at finding any listed real estate company that would turn their nose up at, um, at that. Carter said that the market and the rents had moved on so much in um, in that part of London since Meta first signed that lease that BL had realised they could take the space, reimagine it as um, life sciences real estate, which they're trying to make a bigger push into, and then probably get as much as a 30% lift on the achievable rent. Um, now you could argue that the life sciences market is getting overheated and that 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 pivot from from BL isn't necessarily a sure thing. And there are still loads of Mike Prue-esque bears who will say that there are much greater problems to come in the office sector. But I thought it was um, I thought it was quite a neat way to to take what could have been a pretty problematic vacancy for BL and mm -hmm. say, all right, this is a chance to, to sort of change part of our campus and tap into a new tenant base. Sounds good. Uh, so from it sounds, land. it sounds um, it sounds oddly good, doesn't it? Actually, uh, when um, Shante came back in from a few days out and found that I'd been writing these offices stories, she said to me, I was surprised at how positive your British land story was. It's not like <laughs> you to write something without any doom and gloom in it, which <laughs> I, I felt like maybe was meant as an insult, but I took it as a great compliment. <laughs> Although. I don't think I, I I don't know. BL was pretty was pretty upbeat. I know Piers was chatting with um, Mark Allen and the team at, at Landsec as well this week off their results. Was was that as was that as optimistic, Piers? They were pretty optimistic. I mean, other than the fact that you have to leave lead with the fact that they suffered a near two hundred million pound loss again. I mean, it's the the second one. Um, so. Yeah, but that's that's all to do with the valuation drag, and we get that. But again, fairly positive things with um, rentals ahead of ERV, um, not quite as many as they would like, I think, but still going quite well. But it's the main thing for, for Landsec is this idea that they've got to sell more kit. They set themselves mm. the goal in 2020 of selling uh, £4 billion pounds worth of, of assets, and they've done pretty well. They sold £2.5 billion pounds worth of offices at a point where the values were still pretty good. Um, uh, so, and they're, they're about halfway through, so it looks like a pretty good picture. But when you then look at the granular detail on that, over the last, well, the year to date, 
they've only sold 85 million pounds worth of stuff only 85 million pounds mm-hmm. um i'd love to have only 85 million pounds but um in terms of those scales that's not that much so they've got to go in for the next push um and that was the thing that that i thought was particularly interesting about what uh, mark allen was talking about that um what they're now looking at is the next wave of sales. They've sold out of city offices. They, they've got their office focus in the West End. They've got their office focus in Southwark. They've still got city offices in development, but it's now down to about 24% of their, their city portfolio. Um, but what they're now looking at selling off are the retail parks, the things where they're sub um, they're subscale. So the retail parks, their hotels portfolio, um, and then at a later point, their their leisure park portfolio and that's going to amount to a total of about one and a half billion um and two-thirds of that which is the um the hotels and the retail parks because it's sort of split roughly in thirds um two-thirds of that they reckon they'll be underway selling that off uh, within the year six months to the year um which is pretty good rate the the market for those is strong enough they think they've got enough people that uh, are interested and they think they'll be able to get good prices and get out um, making the the sort of numbers that they want. And then the leisure park side of it is a little bit more dicey because uh, you're looking at, at assets that are mostly anchored by cinema. So how that shapes up, you know, um, cinemas are a bit tricky at the moment, um, but how that shapes up is going to mean that that's the last third that's dealt with and disposed of. Um, but they're pretty confident that they can hit that four billion pound target uh, by 2026, and that gives them enough cash to really keep going with their development pipeline. So that's uh, Mayfield in Manchester, the two billion pound scheme that's currently a park, um, a really nice park, but you know they need to get going with some buildings. At the moment, it doesn't cost them that much to hold on to it, but they want to get going with that. They want to get going with Finchley Road in London. And then you've got the next wave, which is uh, Buchanan Galleries in Glasgow. That's an £850 million scheme. And then you've got the uh, the Lewisham um, Shopping Centre region, which is uh, 1,700 homes. So that's what it wants to be getting on with, that next wave of development. And to do that, it needs to sell all this other stuff first. Oh, and it wants to buy more shopping centres. But again, yeah. the sales come first. Another story of, of, of cautious optimism uh, there, I guess. Um, uh, elsewhere, uh, if we cast our mind back to the start of the week, in Westminster, the, the deck chairs have been rearranged once again uh, in the PM's latest reshuffle. And Politico Piers was, of course, all over the movers and the shakers. And it, and it seems, Piers, that um, at last uh, Westminster has been through every viable candidate uh, for housing minister and has had to start giving out second chances. Well, yeah, I I joked when the reshuffle started and David Cameron suddenly appeared on the doorstep of number 10. <laughs> I sent a I sent a, a message to Mark Prisk, who's my co-presenter on the Office Politics podcast, mm-hmm. and said, oh, my God, they've run out of options. They're bringing in the old boys. Do you think it's your turn to have another go as housing minister? Mark? <laughs> to which he replied, can you please get off the line? I'm waiting for the call. Um, but no it wasn't him it was it was it was another old hand it was lee rowley now the weird thing about this right is so we were all expecting a reshuffle at some point we knew that rishi sunak wouldn't want to go into the general election with the team that he had he wanted to make Mm. some changes that had been leaked to the point where we all knew it was coming we just didn't know when the um suella bradman crisis or 
um, cluster crisis was what brought it to a head. It looks as though, interestingly, with the timing of talking to David Cameron, um, that it was the homelessness issue that, that actually caused this, as opposed to everything she did subsequently. But anyway, <laughs> that's by the by. What obviously happened is that you get all of these changes at the top, Home Secretary, Foreign Secretary, Health Secretary, you get those changes, Environment Secretary, and then very little in the lower ranks, apart from housing minister because of course you can't have a reshuffle without changing housing minister it's a known fact that you need to have at least four a year otherwise i don't know the world falls apart or um something some other catastrophe will happen so that's what happened um the um by all accounts very competent energetic interested and engaged uh, rachel mclean was binned after just over nine months in favour of someone else. And for the entire day, the identity of the someone else was a bit of a mystery because nobody seemed to be taking the job. The, the person who broke the news that McLean had left was herself. She tweeted it. She tweeted <laughs> her regrets at being dumped. And then there was no news about who was being brought in. So rumours started to circulate of um, has it been held open? You know, is it a slot for somebody who's been demoted? There was talk about Therese Coffey, who is environment, who'd come in through the front door, which usually means that you're going to be reshuffled sideways or downwards or even promoted. Um, and then she ended up just being fired. So there was a, a talk about whether she would move from environment secretary to housing minister. That didn't happen. Then there was talk about a couple of other people um, who were being lined up. That didn't happen. And then at the end of it all, it's Lee Rowley, which is brilliant because most people might know the name, but only because we've taken the piss out of him so much because he's the one who managed to last a mere 48 days. And that's being kind because it's only 48 days. If you add together the bits on either side of his tenure when he wasn't really housing minister, but nobody else was, so they might as well say that it's him. So, yeah, he's he's now back in to get another shot at it. If he lasts until the election and the election is in autumn sometime, then he has a chance of being in the top half of housing ministers <laughs> since 2010 in terms of his duration. He has he has a chance to to scrape his way up off the bottom, which means, of course, a demotion for some others. So that would be the Marcus Jones would then take the, the lead as the shortest serving housing minister at 62 days. Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of talk about whether, uh, with David Tennant returning to, to the role of the Doctor, there's a lot of talk about whether <laughs> he is the same Doctor or a different Doctor. Is So is it does 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 Rowley's term length increase just because he's he's come back, or does he does he stay as the the shortest serving housing minister at 48 What's days, that? and then his 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 reincarnation is is, a, is treated as a separate event? That is a good question. I think it's a very it's a it's a very good question because you have the same problem with um, U.S. presidents. <laughs> so he's he's going to be he's going to be number thirteen and sixteen. But <laughs> do you then just say that he's he's fifteen? Does his thirteen disappear? And it's very confusing. Or do you add them together? You know, I mean that that would be another one. Then he's number twenty nine. Um, Obviously, it's, uh, Piers, as you've noted, it's it's a proud easy tradition to have a little bit of fun. Um, at the expense of the the uh, revolving door of housing ministers, which I think we can all agree is the collective noun. Um, 
usually the, 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 the recent tradition is for a swift round of play your housing minister's right. Uh, but alas, yeah, we uh, know I always champ, lose that. Yeah, and the, the reigning <laughs> champ, uh, Emily Wright, is, is unavailable today to defend her <laughs> title. So, um, uh, Piers, though, you did you did share on the on the internal chat a slightly different way to chart the relative lengths <laughs> of tenure of housing ministers. Um, so, so how did how does Rachel McLean fare on that on that uh, Wayner scale um, compared to, to, well, to others? I, I decided um, that the best way of of in case Emily ever wanted to challenge me to another round of, of play your housing ministers right. Um, I decided that the best way of being able to keep how long they'd lasted in my head was to match them with the gestation periods of uh, of mammals. <laughs> Quite right. Um, because the, the latest one, Rachel McLean, that's nine months, six days. That's a human. Yeah, that's a whole exactly. human there. Um, Lucy Fraser, uh, before her, three months, 12 days. That's a chinchilla. <laughs> um, well... Literally, um, I mean, it's kind of confusing. Does he get another go? So before that, Marcus Jones, 62 days, Armadillo, Stuart Andrew, five months or 150 days. That's a goat. Chris Pincher, um, who we now all know for other reasons, but um, Chris Pincher brought down a government. 360 days. That's almost an entire year. He's a donkey. Esther McVeigh. 18 months and 20 days, 570 days in total. I mean, that's pretty long, isn't it? That's a sperm whale. And before that was Kit Malthouse, who at 381 days, just over a year, is a zebra. But Lee, if he had stayed with just his, his short one, uh, 48 days, that's an elephant. And I've read that wrong. Uh, that's an elephant shrew. Uh, <laughs> an elephant is actually is 22 months. <laughs> African months, elephant so. has the longest gestation period of, of any mammal, but not the longest gestation period of any animal because that title uh, belongs to the frilled shark, I discovered, at 36 months. Wow. And uh, I think you have to go back quite a long way to find a housing minister that lasted that long. So will, will, will we ever see a frilled shark in the role of housing minister again? Uh, this is the big question. Because my camera is broken, neither of you can see me. I'm literally wiping away tears <laughs> from laughing so much during this. <laughs> um, staying... Me. <laughs> staying, staying in government and, and, and returning to a topic uh, that, that we touched on earlier on uh, in, in, in the podcast, uh, the big the other big news of the week is that civil servants have been ordered back to the, the office for 60 percent of the time. Yes. Uh, so, Piers, I, I was interested to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, this is the first time that there's been a central guidance. Um, so a Whitehall wide guidance. Before that, it was left to uh, departments to come up with their own ideas of who should should be in but yes it's 60 percent of the time but not only that the encouragement is that anyone senior should come in for longer and anyone junior should come in for longer so <laughs> that the top brass need to be in there pretty much the whole time just to make sure that the, the department's running properly and anyone who's like fast stream graduate entry they need to be in pretty much the whole time just to make sure that they're learning everything so it's just the middle lot who can skive off for a couple of days um, and go and work from home um, I mean, this it's not going to go down well with the departments. It never does. I think it smacks a little bit of um, Jacob Rees-Mogg leaving notes on people's desks. Mm. Um, and also the thing that came out almost immediately after this uh, guidance was signed off by the PM was the fact that it is just guidance. 
So having said, you all have to be back at your desk, come back into the <laughs> office, especially you and you. You have to be there, although you don't actually. And if there's a reason why you can't, then that's also fine. So we'll see. And it, it, it occurred to me as, as I sort of realised the, the lineup of this this podcast that we, that we kind of span the breadth of current working options. Tim, it seems <laughs> to me that, you're you know, whenever I speak to you, you're in the office most, if not all days. Piers, you're, of course, uh, fully remote uh, down there on the south coast right. and I'm somewhere in the middle. I was equally split hybrid before the pandemic and a bit more tilted in favour of home now. And it occurred to me, it's a bit like a modern version of John Cleese and the two Ronnies. Uh, you know, so I look up to him and I look down on him. But the, the thing is, I'm definitely Ronnie Barker, but I'm not sure which way I'm supposed to be looking up or down. I, I think I think, I think, think secretly I, I look up to Piers uh, for, for being able to, 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 to go fully remote. Uh, but I think official policy is I should be looking up to Tim. Doesn't have a proper well, Wi-Fi connection, quite... though, does he? Exactly, exactly. I am envious of Tim's solid <laughs> Wi-Fi connection and not having to tether from his phone while sitting in his van up on a hill to try and get a signal. Uh, and from um, unlikely working locations uh, to, uh, to to somewhere that's perhaps more suitable uh, until recently at any rate, uh, we can't complete our weekly roundup without tackling the continuing fallout around WeWork. Um, Tim, you've been following this story for absolute years, uh, and this week uh, you've been looking at uh, some of the company's rivals circling around uh, its most desirable properties. This story will never end, and it will never, like, <laughs> it will just, in some form, it will always be going on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're starting to see, I mean, look, we started seeing back in, I think it was August when WeWork said, uh, listen, things have probably gone a bit too far and we now don't think we can remain in business in our current form. And straight away you had rivals saying, don't worry, we'll pick up we'll pick up any space that, that you want to ditch. You're now seeing more and more names sort of making proper statements about the fact that they think there's going to be an opportunity for them to, to pick up WeWork sites and business as the company goes through that, that bankruptcy process. So over the last week, we've had... Um, couple of notable names uh, talking on social media about what they they think might happen. So industrious uh, founder Jamie Hodari, he said that he thinks his company is quite likely to take on some some WeWork spots. He he doesn't think that most that close will end up closing for good. He thinks if WeWork walks away from sites, there will be a competitor that, that wants to take them on. He said he thinks Industrious is likely to take over, quote, a few of the higher end ones. Now, full disclosure, I'm not sure what a higher end WeWork is, but I'm sure that I'm sure that they they will they will exist. And um, and it sounds like the, the crew at Industrious are um are starting to to eye a few of a few of those, and we also had Convene, which um, as uh, uh, as its um, as its co-founder said in his own piece, often gets termed a flex company. It's it's not really an offices business; it's more sort of meeting and event space, but often gets included within that sector. Um, so Ryan Simonetti said too that he thinks there's a big opportunity for M&A in the wake of um, WeWork's bankruptcy, and he thinks that's going to be uh, that's going to be a particular um, a particular focus for Convene. So he reckons that eventually you'll see as few as just two or three uh global platforms that he said have um have real scale in this space and that they would then i guess like we see with uh with iwg operate multiple brands but have them under under sort of one one corporate one corporate umbrella 
So I reckon, look, there's loads, there's loads of time for this to play out yet. Um, and there's been very little clarity, I, I think, as Shante said last week, from the UK business as to what it's going to mean here. But you can definitely see, you can definitely see rivals and other co-working companies um, positioning themselves to to pick up to pick up sites that that they can. I guess the question now will just be how quickly we work wants to walk away from those. Uh, and as you mentioned, you know, you, it's the story that's been going on, and we've we've talked about it multiple times, and, and we've talked about it with Shante, and uh, we will continue to do that. Uh, I just sort of just we touched on it last week, but I wanted to ask your thoughts as well, because for, for all its financial issues, WeWork remains a very powerful brand in the public yeah, consciousness. Yeah. So, so what are your thoughts on on the future? You know, what 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 could be what what could WeWork be in five years? Say. That's a great question. Um, I mean, it, it's not going to be what it is today, but as uh, you know, as Shante said, the focus the focus of this Chapter Eleven protection is you exit it at some point mm. in some form. Um, and IWG and, and Regis managed to do that um, pretty successfully in the US in in years gone by. So there's at least there's at least some sort of track record there of flex companies managing to to get their um, get their house in order using that process. I think the only thing you can definitely say about WeWork is that however it emerges, it, it's going to be smaller. The most interesting suggestion at the moment, and um, I haven't really seen any reporting that suggests it's, it, it's sort of more than a suggestion, is that Adam Newman himself might be interested in buying mm. the business out of bankruptcy um, with uh, some of the huge cash pile that he managed to walk away from it with in the first instance <laughs> and somehow um, somehow resuscitating that business and and I presume um, uh, taking it in a direction that he thinks it should have been taken in had he been allowed to continue steering the ship. I don't know um, I don't know how likely that is. I'm not sure what sort of backing Newman would need to to make that work. But of course, even before the bankruptcy was officially confirmed, he was putting out press statements claiming it had been um, uh, claiming it had been you know very sad for him as its founder to to watch what had happened to it over the years and what a crime it was that it hadn't had the the right leadership in place to to take it forward successfully. So could there be could we be looking at um, Adam Newman regaining control of that business? That would be I mean, that would be something else. Yeah, as a, as a journalist and a, a commentator, I'm, I'm sure that's what you're secretly crossing your fingers <laughs> for, isn't it? Uh, yeah, not even secretly. Uh, again, the camera's <laughs> broken, but I've got, I've got fingers crossed literally as I speak. <laughs> uh, well, what, what a lot of ground we've covered. Uh, and it, I think we've just got time uh, for Tim to add one more track, if you'd like to, to the ever-evolving EGLSM certified bangers playlist. And I mean, I'm intrigued to see if he's going to take us right back to where we started. Um, this I was Christ. I was looking at this. This this playlist is now. This is now reminding me of a mate. I might have told this story before, so you can cut this if I have. <laughs> a mate who once told me that at his funeral, he wants the music to start with um, "Lady in Red" by Christa Berg, and then <laughs> to follow that with uh, "Rock with You" by Michael Jackson, just so the mourners at his funeral are left thinking. I don't understand what's happening. What is going on, and why has he chosen these songs? <laughs> this playlist uh, feels now like that. Not that I'm suggesting if I'm hit by a bus tomorrow, you should feel obliged <laughs> to play the EG like Sunday Morning certified bangers playlist at my funeral. I thought that so, was what although, this was for. <laughs> listen, 
uh, I'm not going to lie. I can think of a few people whose music taste I trust more than Shantae's. If anyone has to DJ a set uh, to accompany me shuffling off this mortal coil, but you know, we'll see. We'll see how that. We'll see how that goes. I am. Um, we were talking last week about um, about the fact that we were missing a bit of '80s uh, '80s R&B and mm -hmm. soul on this. So I'm going to rectify that and make it even more chaotic than it already is, and add uh, Luther Vandross classic never too much it'll sound it'll sound absolutely preposterous along with everything else that's on there <laughs> i didn't even know the artist that she added last week she then made me listen to it and i thought oh great now i've got to buy another cd um <laughs> but uh, that luther vandross following uh jay huss and i don't even know if i'm pronouncing that correctly will be um will be beautifully chaotic i can't wait to hear it and that, although i'll be the, dead because it'll be at my funeral well that's the track that they will use when they when they press the button <laughs> uh, and the you know the curtain closes and that's yeah. that's the yeah yeah no, not a dry eye in the house <laughs> i'm sure uh, i'm so excited i mean you know we, we pretend we, we do we do pretend that um that it is i'm Sunday not gonna morning, get hit by the, a bus tomorrow but, but you know the, there was there were concerns once raised uh about another distinguished individual um and whether they would would last until the Sunday of the podcast, but we, we I don't we, even we, even without you naming them, I wish we weren't <laughs> having this conversation again. <laughs> anyway, fingers I'd crossed. I almost managed to forget. Fingers crossed, Tim will survive uh, the Saturday and be still with us to listen uh, to EG like Sunday morning and uh, to listen to Luther Van Dross. Uh, together with the rest of our listening public, uh, we will be back next week. Uh, I don't know who with. Uh, for another episode of EG Like Sunday Morning.